As society seems to crumble around us, we make our way back to the foothills of the mountains. Rifles in hand, we set up our camp, and the light of our campfire filters up through the bases of the pine trees, and above the canopy of needles, we can see the cold stars in the dark night sky. We sit around the campfire, we laugh, we talk, we remember the issues of the past, and we look out beyond the pines into the dark veil of gray mist, and we see the movement, the shadows slumping around the ground, peering out through around the trees. The wild calls for us. Tonight, we talk. Around this campfire, thank you for joining me in the camp of the beyond. This is The Marauder Rises. Hey guys, um, today we're going to be talking about some equipment stuff. It's mainly going to be talking about load-bearing equipment, uh, essentially like plate carriers, chest rigs, um, some hybrid load-bearing equipment, traditional load-bearing equipment like Alice and Molly, and a variety of other things. So I know this is a very touched-on topic. It's incredibly nuanced. Um, there's a lot of bad interpretations and bad outlooks on this stuff. It's going to been directed by uh, the military. Obviously, I've talked about this before in the past. A lot of guys have messaged me and they were mad that I crap on the military so much when it comes to equipment and training and tactics and strategy whenever it comes to civilian application. Uh, listen, man, I'm sorry. I don't really care. It's kind of a truth of the matter that, that the... Whenever you apply a two-and-a-half-decade-long uh, military conflict in a foreign country that is virtually the opposite of mainland United States uh, and then attempt to bring that back and apply all the, the tactics and strategies and equipment use over here is just non, non-translatable or, at the very least, uh, not super beneficial for civilians, especially consider that, considering that even if it was all the all the variables were similar to here, military tactics and strategies um, is not necessarily translatable to civilians anyways because civilians don't have the logistical backing and the organizational support that military has. So it's like an entirely different conversation. Regardless, um, the equipment discussion just on a very you know fundamental level is has just kind of been really cringe. Uh, for a long time. And so it's, I'm not saying that my discussion is going to be the end all be all of it or set matters straight or anything like that. So I'm not, I'm obviously not, (laughs) I I can't, I can't be so prideful as to think that my perspective and opinion is conclusive on the matter, but just know that this is a very nuanced subject and I have my own opinions on it, uh, from a civilian outdoorsman, uh, you know, a citizen rifleman point of view. So, and you know, if you have that belief that civilization, society, and government is a, a fleeting and very temporary institution, and that you can't rely on them, and that you need to establish yourself and your community in a armed and defensive manner, then you probably need to have a little bit more of an uh, a a little bit more 
I guess, localized perspective on the equipment and more, I guess, a, a more humble perspective on this as opposed to just this, you know, the hype beast uh, consumerism mindset that is operated behind. Because if you really think about it, a lot of this, the the gear purchasing by civilians motivated uh, in part by observation of the military because military trends carry over and often lead the civilian uh, side of the market. And it's just a ton of consumerism. A lot of guys get their cool aspect. And, you know, whenever we were younger, it was baseball cards or, or, you know, sports stuff or, or whatever it be, whenever we're younger. And then as we get older, for some of us, some, some of us never get out of that phase. Some of us never get out of the video game sports phase where it's time to leave games behind in childhood and grow up to become men. Some guys never really leave that mindset and continue it's a lot of urbanites never leave that mindset. A lot of guys stuck in the past never leave that mindset. Um, and then, but some guys move on to more adult stuff, you know, like gear, uh, equipment, uh, training, and ammunition, and uh, fill in the blank. But the mindset is still very the same. It's that consumerism mindset, and it really manipulates and distorts what it should be in a uh, very applicable and. Uh, functional mindset as opposed to, you know, uh, a lot of the things that guys are directed to buy by their consumerism, by what's hyped up and cool at the time, may very well not be very functional in the long run or in any run it might not be functional. So uh, I hope to look at this um, and not really from a prideful perspective or not really trying to crap on your gear if you own this gear. I'm, I'm really not. I'm not thinking about anybody in particular. Um, so I'm going to give some anecdotes. I'm going to give some personal experience. I want you to remember that I was never in the military. I'm not in the military now. It wasn't before. And I have absolutely no desire to go into it. Um, I made the decision whenever I was younger years ago to not go into the military because I didn't want to be a tool for the government and be sent over to fight foreign wars and for effectively for no good reason, you know, uh, occupy lands that effectively had no bearing on what happened here at home, aside for uh, larger government expansion. Um, and uh, I, I don't blame you if whenever you were younger, or even if you're now, if you have the desire to be in the military because you want to protect the homeland and want to protect your loved ones. I don't blame you for having that desire. We as men have an innate desire to protect and defend, right? And so what a lot of, a lot of times what happens is, I mean, it happens in literally every country. Um, politicians and the government at large will use that innate and uh, moral desire within, within good men to defend, and they'll distort that and say, uh, we have the monopoly on it. If you want to defend your people and your homeland, then you have to come do it for us, either as police or military or fill in the blank. You have to come do it for us. And um, if you come and do it for us, then you get this God tier status where you're a hero. Even if the reason why we send you out to fight is no good or for, for no good no good reason or for pointless uh, pointless purposes, even if we send you out like that, you're a hero. And the, the ultimate status that you could ever obtain is to die in the line of duty, what we call duty, when it in reality is just kind of serving the interests of politicians and government at large. Uh, 
and uh, and then if you n- decide to never do that, well, then it's you know it's not really becoming of you. And if especially if you own guns or prepare or own gear, use gear stuff like that, then you're really thought of as like a shameful thing because they say, well, those are things that the military does because we own the monopoly on that, um, and you're also doing it. So obviously you're some kind of poser. So uh, we're actually going to shame you for that. When in actuality, the entire time it should have been everyone in the society, we should all be responsible for defending society. Should There should be no monopoly on defending our homes, defending our loved ones. There should be no monopoly on doing what's right and carrying a rifle on your side. And, uh, you know, that's, that should never have been like this. It should never be a monopolized militant force that's controlled by an elite group. It's so dumb. It's so stupid. And realizing this years ago that seeing guys go out and, and die or waste their lives sitting around in some crap hole of a country, uh, for no good reason, while they themselves had wanted to defend and protect their loved ones and get treated like garbage as tools for a, a massive power structure, it, it made me feel disgusted. And I have no, no desire to ever do that. I hope you never do that. I hope you hear this and think, I hate this. I don't want to do it. And what you hate isn't defending you know, you love defending people, you love defending your homeland, but you hate being used as a tool, as not a person, you're, because they don't see you as people, and they only talk about you as people if you comply with them, if you do their bidding, and then on, then, and only then are you treated like a person, like a hero, and only as long as it suits them, and they cast you aside. I don't want you to feel like that, and I don't want to feel like that, and I certainly don't want my family to feel like that. You deserve more. Men who who seek to defend, they deserve more. So, okay. <laughs> There's my first tangent for the episode. <laughs> Golly. I can't get through 10 minutes of an episode without going on a, a massive tangent. Okay, here we go. We're going to get into, we're going to start off with plate carriers first. Because, obviously, plate carriers are the most hyped they are the mo- they're basically the go-to load-bearing equipment, right? Because they've gotten a ton of airtime, uh, and by airtime, I just mean just a ton of use. So, if you've if you've uh, <laughs> unless you've been hiding in a, under a rock in the tactical world, you know that plate carriers are basically the go go-to load-bearing equipment. Anyone who's been in the military or police or even in the civilian armed civilian sector in the past two and a half decades are well aware that plate carriers are just, that's the thing that you get issued to. I know guys who who were in the military, uh, you might not, you know, just having, having been having been involved in the gun community and the, the tactical community for as long as I have. Um, I knew, I know several guys, I grew up with guys, I talk with guys on a regular basis who are uh, in the military and guys who may never have even stepped foot out on the battlefield or guys who may never have necessarily done assault of work or something like that, they got issued plate carriers. Um, and so it's just this go-to thing. And so basically, if you talk to knowledgeable, I, I, I say knowledgeable because I'm using this term loosely, guys who do deliberate thinking and training in the subject of combatives, they will tell you that a, a plate carrier 
is the tool that you use. Uh, you put it on whenever you think you're going to get shot at, um, which ironically you never plan to get shot at. But uh, you know, if if you know that you might get shot at, then the preparation is a plate carrier, according to a lot of people. So I'm just going to tell you, this is a very dumb mindset um, because it's treating the piece of equipment as an insurance policy. It's a incredibly stupid mindset. Now, the reason that the military and police will, you know, issue these, these pieces of equipment is for that very reason. It's an insurance policy. Um, I own a plate carrier. I love my plate carrier. I own level four plates and put them in my plate carrier. I set up my plate carrier. I, I work on my set, the setup on my plate carrier and I train with it. Uh, I think it's a great piece of equipment if you use it correctly. But at the end of the day, a plate carrier is an insurance policy and you don't need to be thinking of it as something else. So the reason that it's stupid to think of a plate carrier as just this thing that you put on, this piece of equipment that you put on whenever you're going to get shot at is because it idolizes the plate carrier as the number one thing to protect you whenever rounds are coming your way, which is not true at all. The thing that should be protecting you the most uh, d during any confrontation, uh, whether it be a personal self-defense scenario with your handgun out on the street against a mugger, all the way up to a foreign invasion or a domestic conflict, um, all the way up to, you know, like full-on military conflict within our borders as civilians, what we should be utilizing. Anywhere in between those two extremes, a plate carrier should not be the number one thing that defends you or uh, prohibits you uh, from getting rounds, you know, holes put into you. The things that are going to keep you from getting holes put into you is proper cover use, proper movement, proper supporting fire, and proper communication. Those, the, those four things are the absolute fundamental things that will keep you from getting shot uh, or, or at least minimize your chances of getting shot. Uh, plate carrier is way behind. It is a passive means of uh, catching bullets once they've hit you. Uh, those assertive, aggressive means of those four tactics that I just talked about are assertive. They're things that you actively do, not something that you pa you put on yourself and then passively hangs there to receive. These are assertive tactics to keep yourself, you what you are actively doing to keep yourself from getting shot. So, for example, you're out in the field. You start taking rounds, right? The number one thing that you do uh, to keep yourself from getting shot is immediately hit the deck, right? So you're immediately hitting the deck. You are... Um, communicating with your guys, uh, searching for on where the oncoming fire is going, and then you employ your three individual movement techniques, which are rush, high crawl, low crawl. So rush is only – that's moving, jumping up, sprinting a short distance, and jumping back down into a prone position – and you're up only as the little divvy that you say is, or the little ditty that you say is, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. And that's as long as you stay up on your feet. That's the entirety of the time. Um, or at, at the very least, until you can get into cover. And you should be, while you're on the ground, before you ever rush, 
you should have already found the cover that you're rushing to. And it does not need to be a far distance away from you at all. And you don't rush unless you have supportive cover. Or I'm sorry, uh, supporting fire, right? So cover and fire. That's the only time you're, you're up on the feet uh, whenever you're moving on the battlefield, okay? The other times, high crawl and low crawl, you're high crawl, you're on your knees and your elbows, and low crawl, you're on your belly pushing yourself across the dirt uh, with your arms outstretched, with your rifle, rifle in your hands or uh, in the crook of your arm, arms outstretched, and you're pushing with your feet to move yourself through the dirt uh, to where you need to go. So high crawl is when you have a little bit of higher cover, like, or I'm sorry, a little bit of higher concealment, like say, um, say you have tall grass or something like that. Uh, and then that'll conceal your movement. And then maybe if you have like a, uh, if you're like, say on a road and there's a dividing wall on the road where it's like, you know, that small, short concrete wall, um, you can high crawl behind that or something along or through a ditch, something like that, something that's going to conceal or cover you. Um, it's allowing you to get up, get up a little bit, but not, you know, not up on your feet, up on your elbows and on your knees. Uh, low crawl is, you know, that's your, that's the safest way you're going to move. Uh, you know, potentially not moving at all and communicating and firing with you guys is safest. But in order to um, take back area or assert dominance on an enemy, low crawl keeps you out of that cone of fire. And so, uh, I mean, it's slow, it sucks, it's exhausting, but it keeps you out of the cone of fire. Plate carrier is the absolute probably the last thing <laughs> that you wanted to consider whenever your rounds are coming your your way. And what's also also happens is like the plate carrier, just the shape, the fact that it's a, an inch or so of, of material, of hard material, heavy material on your chest, and then plus your mags are stacked on top of that, is going to create a, a wedge between you and the earth to keep you from doing low crawls, potentially keep you from doing high crawls, because uh, depending on the um, the size of your plate carrier, it can prohibit a lot of your range of motion. So whenever you're moving your knees up close to you, or, you know, far, farther up above your waist, whenever you're doing a high crawl, uh, prohibiting the movement of your, your arms and your elbows, uh, whenever you're doing a high crawl. Um, and then also it can interfere with whatever you're running on your back. If you're wearing a framed back backpack for long distance movement, movement in the field, it can really interfere with that whenever you're doing any sort of even, you know, rushing uh, or even just regular hiking and patrolling. Uh, that I mean, try it sometime. Put on your plate carrier and put on your ruck or your field pack and try to hike with it. It's If you get a really, really good framed pack, it's manageable at best. If uh, depending on the plate carrier, the type, the backpack and the type, it can be miserable. I've, I've hiked with a set, my 72 hour, um, pack, you know, some people call it an assault pack. What it actually is, is it's an Eagle Industries A3 72 hour pack. And so it's a non-framed pack. And I, I hiked with that and it was fully, fully loaded out. Cause I was staying out in the field a while or I had planned to, and I put on my plate carrier and I thought, um, I'm going to go like I would actually, if I was going out into the field and what happens? I, I put the pack on, I put the sternum strap on, I have my plate carrier on, and holy crap, 
this thing sucks. Feels like my freaking shoulders are getting pulled apart because the straps on the assault, or not the assault pack, the 72 hour pack, since they're, you know, I'm, I, even though I have the sternum strap to hold the straps of the pack together, it's still, it can't really fit well across the plate carrier. So the straps themselves are resting on the outside of my shoulders instead of this, you know, the pockets between my shoulders and my chest, um, where it's supposed to go, you know, in the armpit pocket where the, the uh, straps are supposed to go, my plate carrier is there and it can't really fit on top of it very well just because of the shape of the plate carrier. It's not a bad plate carrier. It's just a the fact of the matter is that's the shape of the plate carrier. And so that it feels like my arms are pulling, being pulled out of my socket sockets. So it sucks. Let me just tell you, you can do it. You can manage it, but it sucks. Ask, I got a good buddy named Tony. Um, he, he feel, he said that, uh, whenever he was, you know, he was in the army and they, his, his, uh, officers would make them patrol in plate carriers and with their rucks on. And at the end of the ruck, it's like literally their shoulders are bleeding and it sucks. And so there's, there's that. And it's also, as I was talking about before about the three individual movement techniques, um, it can prohibit you or uh, make it much more inconvenient for doing the three individual movement techniques. So it's already putting you in a not so optimal position whenever rounds are coming your way. So the thing that's going to save you the most from rounds coming your way is being on your belly. And the plate carrier, which you had put on top of yourself in order to help you withstand oncoming rounds, is now keeping you from being able to get into the position that's going to, sorry, uh, cars are moving down the road beside my house. Um, it's going to put you in a position that's going, that the position itself was to keep rounds from hitting you in the first place. So there's a lot of nuance and gray area when it comes to a plate carrier. It can be a great piece of equipment when you use it correctly. But this whole thing of, you know, I know, Daddy Thumb said it in one of his videos. Grand Thumb said it in one of his videos where if you, there's rounds, if you expect rounds to be coming down your way, wear a plate carrier. No, dude, that's not necessarily true at all. There's tons of nuances when it comes to this thing. So, um, military guys, I cannot, since I was not in the military, I cannot tell you what the situations for uh, running a plate carrier for you would be like. You're going to have to go with your standard operating procedure, depending on your MOS uh, and whatever your unit does, right? So I, I, I can't tell you guys what situations that would be good in. But I can talk about it with civilians, you know. What it, what have I found? And obviously, I haven't been shot at while wearing a play carrier. I just haven't. So I can't, I can't tell you from that perspective. I can tell you from an academic and scholar perspective, reading infantry manuals. I can tell you from anecdotal perspectives of wearing my plate carrier with my um, various various packs, various ruck, ruck, ruck packs, um, trying to crawl with my plate carrier on, came, carrying large amounts of ammunition with my plate carrier on. I can talk, tell you about experiences like that because I actually do get out with my gear and use it. So let's talk about some pros and cons and then talk about the talk and we can go you know, into the types of plate carriers with this and uh talk about the situations in which a plate carrier might actually be used so 
types of plate carriers. There's the jumpable, um, there's the standard, and there's a the large. So I'm just going with the very basic types, right? So the jumpable or the micro plate carriers is is very popular it's or it's uh you could kind of combine the kind of slick plate carrier with this so you're gonna get that slickster sort of ferro and spiritus where it's an elastic cummerbund with just two very basic uh slick plate bags on the front and the back um and there's very a very small amount of molly panel on the front but probably what you're going to be using is the uh, Velcro and Velcroing a micro chest rig to the front of it and securing it with the um, uh, the Velocity Systems Quick Clips. So that's basically what the kind of you know that slick plate carrier is. And then there's the jumpable, which is the obvious JPC, right? So it's going to be the front plate bag, um, which has Molly or Velcro for securing it. Uh, you know, a, a panel to the front of it with uh, Velocity Systems Quick Clips. Um, rear plate bag, it's got Molly on it. Um, and then there's the cummerbunds on the side, which for the most most JPCs I've seen are primarily um, the Molly, like the skeletonized Molly webbing. Um, so these are obviously scalable but you're going to get to a point with the jpc where it's just there's too much the jpc jumpable plate carrier was designed for airborne uh units in the military a um, lot of uh you know air for the air force pararescue guys i think they, they were kind of the first guys to be using that and it kind of took off from there and uh so it was designed to be lightweight minorly scalable um just how much of a loadout can you carry on that thing? I'm not really sure. Um, so there's that. So these slick plate carriers and the jumpable plate carriers, if you're a civilian, you can get them. Um, I personally really don't recommend it because they kind of defeat the purpose to me because they were designed for something you're never going to do as a civilian. If in a collapse scenario, you're not going to be jumping out of planes and so a scalable loadout that's designed around jumping out of planes is just not really ideal to me. Or in the Slickster case, it's kind of like for low profile or undercover situations where you're like kind of like a cop and wearing it under your duty shirt or, you know, trying to look authoritative perhaps with the multicam black or the black color. And it just really doesn't make sense to me to wear this because at any – I'm just – I'm just going to tell you, like, there's really not a situation in which I'm going to use a plate carrier low profile. And I don't think there's probably is for you either, unless you're some sort of weird hitman. Um, especially in a collapse scenario, we're going to be, you know, f probably fairly overt, especially if we're doing legitimate security. Um, so this is another topic that I see. Uh, I saw some guys posted on Instagram that one of the best things that civilians can do to prepare for a collapse scenario is doing house clearing, uh, <laughs> which is really weird and oddly specific to talk about. Um, because they say like, it's going to, if in the aspect of Raiders, you're, you're more likely to be defending your home, which this again is a very reactive ta tactic. So like, 
meeting people on your doorstep, if you don't know this, meeting people on your doorstep is like the worst form of security that you could have. Meeting people inside your house in a collapse scenario where there might be numerous intruders coming into your house, like this is how your family dies. And so thinking that room clearing is the prime way to train for and they were saying like don't don't focus on field training don't focus on going in in the woods or whatever focus on room clearing uh because the majority of people live in cities and you're more likely to be clearing guys out of your house instead of going in a woods and i was just like what how are you you even coming up with this like it's you're literally focusing on the worst possible aspect like you, everything that you've already planned for or should have planned for has failed. This is the scenario where your kids are going to die, your wife is going to die. Even if you perform everything in the room clearing correctly, like the likelihood of you coming off successful with multiple guys having intruded into your house uh, in a like probably armed raider mindset is just like you're all you're probably your body's going to rot in the streets. Uh, your wife and kids are going to be taken as slaves, or if not killed. So yeah, I'm sorry that this is kind of a doom and gloom mindset, but look, this, <laughs> this, I know this is another side tangent. Just hear me out. The best way to defend your home in a collapse scenario is multi-tiered security where you have, um, you know, fields, arrays of fire from your house, um, where you've hard, you've hardened your house so that they can't get in, in the first place. You have, um, fields of fire, overlapping fields of fire from your house. Your house is probably not going to be the only one. So the likelihood of them isolating your house out, you should have a network with your community to have layers of perimeters of security already set up around your neighborhood. Like you cut down telephone poles to block off road access of, of raiders coming in to scour your community you have guys setting up checkpoints and manning checkpoints, making sure that whoever enters into your community is not hostile. Um, you have roving patrols of security of guys who are going out and establishing an armed presence so that nobody even wants to come into your community in the first place because they think they're going to get shot for sure if they come in. If there is anybody who is coming into your house um, that's because you have failed to establish one perimeters and patrols of security force around your community two overlapping fields of fire outside of your house, or even like, you know, from the windows of your house, three hardened points of entry into your house. And, you know, there's even more steps into that of how you can secure your community So just this idea. And so all of this is field tactics. Whenever I'm talking about field tactics, field strategy, field logistics, this is this, you know, it's still that in a woods mindset. You're just applying it to the urban location. Uh, So, you know, this idea of just this really bizarre uh, niche tactical room clearing focus is just it's really out there. It's not true at all. Like that's a really good way to mislead people into training in very one uh, one very small aspect of what shooting is, and um, so I guess I say this all to imply that it's just not really. 
don't listen to necessarily guys who have a very one-sided focus on everything because it's just it's it's a good way at room knowing room clearing is knowing how to you know cut pies uh the cut you know pie the corner of uh, of uh say like a doorway or around around cover it's good for knowing how to do it uh, whenever you need to clear cover or clear room um, it's good for knowing how to manage and handle your weapon and your other equipment it's not a good isolated focus because there's so much to um, there's so much to shooting more than this there's so much more to weapon handling than this Sorry, I'm going to try to get back on track now. Okay, so moving on, getting back onto topic. Right, so let me look at my notes real quick. I had made a little rough outline for us to go by. And so when I was talking about plate carriers, I outlined that I want to talk about pros, cons, situational dependency and the several different types so i was going to go through the several different types like i mentioned the jumpable uh jumpable the small kind basically small medium large the small usually being that jumpable or the slickster kind that you see from pharaoh and and spiritus the jumpable primarily being from jpc and the various knockoffs that you see from from you know other companies that try to mimic the jpc and then you have a standard size, which is going to be more of your, um, you might think this is big, but they're actually not that big. So the Overts by Spiritus, um, the Cry, is it ACS? I think something like that. The, the, the larger, um, the larger plate carrier that they do. And then, uh, you know, so by the way, if you hear a scraping sound, I am currently... There was some, after dinner, we had some cheese that was hardened to the cast iron uh, skillet. And so here's a little dad tip. If you get like that, that crust on the skillet, instead of trying to wash it, don't wash it. Especially don't use soap in it. Get yourself an old cloth um, and pour some salt, a bit of salt into the pan. And then use the, the cloth to push the salt against that. Uh, against the hardened cheese or whatever happens to be in the pan and that will just scrape whatever is in there in the pan right up anyway so the medium-sized plate carriers are going to be something along the lines of the overt type that you think of usually so my plate carriers and optimal performance systems quick detach um, you can find them on UR tactical or 0241 tactical I know a lot of guys like the those websites because it's got some gear that's actually really really cool gear um and then but you know you've got your your various cries uh, not the jpc but this the scaling up size the spiritus the new pharaohs that came out was it last year or two years ago um and that are you know not the slickster versions but the larger versions i can't remember all the mo the model names but you understand what I'm talking about. The overts that are designed to be worn above um, above your uniform or above whatever clothing you're wearing, they generally have thicker shoulder pads as opposed to some sort of, uh, of uh, rubberized shoulder pad like a JPC or some sort of uh, 
Uh, yeah, I guess I guess the other Spiritus and Slicksters, they're like smaller shoulder pads, right? They're very thin. So these are going to be thicker shoulder pads. Um, the cummerbunds are generally the molly, uh, the molly, right? They're either a thick cummerbund that's all-encompassing or um, just a molly skeletonized one instead of the uh, elastic cummerbunds of the Slickster kind of variety. Uh, and then the bags on the front and back are generally full molly except for the panel of Velcro in which you can put your, um, put your, what's it called? The, uh, the front plate plant or the front panel or the, uh, micro chest rig that you run as a panel. That's where you put your panel there or, uh, you know, where you can mount your, molly pouches for your magazines and then generally on the back panel of these of these medium size they're usually molly full molly to where you can put or, or you know like with this the newer jpc and the newer uh the, i'm not saying that the jpc is a is a large or i'm sorry medium but i'm just giving an example the uh I guess the new Pharaohs have this as well. They have that zipper where you could zip on a a uh, back pl- uh, a uh, the back bag uh, pouches, or you can zip on like a what are they called a flat back backpack onto your plate carrier, or you can just molly thread one on. Um, so usually, uh, or you know, like a hydration pack or something like that, and then the cummerbund being molly usually has areas for you to mount um, radios, extra mag pouches, utility pouches, or um, or uh, or side side plate bags, right? And so those are cool. And then moving on upward, we get to the large. So a lot of civilian guys probably have no idea what what this is even is the the large. Um, so. This is going to be more of your KDH style that was uh, general military contracted uh, and produced. Uh, KDH had for a while that Homeland Security um, Department of Defense contract, and they made what effectively made you into a turtle, right? So a lot of you guys who are Marines, maybe in the Army, you guys would know plenty about this. I have an old KDH that was made for police, and it used to be like super cheap. It was like 80 bucks. And it's like designed to have uh, soft, like all-encompassing soft level two uh, armor inside of it, plus plates. And then you also supposed to mount side plates on them, um, and they're like literally all-encompassing, right? So, so there's a huge. It's designed to hold large plates as opposed to what we consider nowadays is like your your general plate that's a um, 10 by 12 or so with, um, you know, swimmer cut or whatever, or multi-curve. Those are not like super big. Those are actually like kind of small whenever it comes down to it. So for example, I have a buddy in the Marine Corps. Uh, he's an officer. (laughs) I know a lot of guys are going to be like, well, he doesn't know anything. I, I'm just telling you what, what he talked about whenever he came home and looked at my stuff. He's, he came home. Um, he has a, you know, field related MOS uh, and so he came home and he looked at it and he's like, he looked at my, my current plate carrier, which is what I would call a medium sized plate carrier, 
What a lot of you would call like a regular large overt plate carrier is actually a medium sized plate carrier. It is overt, but it's medium sized. And so he came home and he looked at it and he's like, dude, this is like a really small plate carrier. And <laughs> of course I have my KDH and I was like, well, what about this? What do you think of this? And he's like, that's more what I'm used to. And so it's like this all encompassing, whatever you look at them, the, they come up over your clavicle, over your collarbone. They're almost wrapped around your neck. The shoulder pads are huge. They're covering up most of your shoulders. They come down. Uh, the sides of the front plate bag are literally hugging the exterior of your chest and going underneath your armpit. So it's like almost all the way around. And the cummerbund is literally just to secure the front, That you know, with the overt and the slicksters. The cummerbund takes up basically the entire side of your lateral, right? So it, you, basically on your sides, there's no coverage by the front and back plates uh, or the front and back plate bags, right? So, but with the large um, military style, uh, military contracted style uh, plate bags that I'm talking about, they will literally ride the entirety of your chest, come underneath your arms uh, and meet each other in your armpits, right? Or just below your armpits. So basically you're getting soft if even if you're not wearing side armor or uh, side plates you're basically getting uh two soft armor panels touching each other underneath your armpits so you're getting some side coverage for fragmentation uh and then front plate back plate and then on extra you put the the side plates on right and maybe i can post a picture of the of one of these later right the kdh that i have so a lot of guy, military guys would be used to this. Uh, this is probably what they're most familiar with. A lot of Marine Corps guys are probably still issued this because you get all the old crap because your branch is so uh, low on, on the budget side. And so um, one of the, the things, and so like whenever, whenever he looked at my, my, um, my buddy, whenever he looked at my play carrier setup, he was like, it's small and I don't understand your rifle carrying or your uh your rifle mag carrying setup and so my magazines it, i just literally had a spiritus front panel sitting on the front and i have uh two rows of inserts so if i wanted to i could put two three rows of magazines you know so six total on the front if i wanted to and then i have a few side side magazine holders on the cummerbunds I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, usually whenever we do ours, we either have just a few magazines, um, a few Molly uh, mag pouches on the front, or we run it slick, and we have a few on the sides. But he was carrying around an M27 IAR, which is the Marine Corps' – I say new. It's not really new, but it's like newer compared to the – other squad automatic rifles. It's the Marine Corps' newer squad automatic rifle where uh, it uses magazines instead of a belt fed, but it's the magazines are larger. So basically what an M27 is, you might have played it on Call of Duty or Battlefield or whatever video games you kids are playing these days. He carried that thing. It's basically a HK416 that's built up to be the size of, say, a battle rifle, and they call it a squad automatic rifle. Um, so it's big, thicker barrel. All the components on it are bigger. Um, 
and he loves it. But the thing is, is that regular mag pouches, they, they're they not big enough to carry the uh, larger magazines of the M27 that they use in it as a squad automatic rifle. So uh, I think they use the 40-rounder magazines or something along those lines. Some of the E-Marines might be able to have a, a better comprehension of this. And of course, it can take regular AR-15-style magazines, I believe, but it, they just generally use the larger ones because it's supposed to be a squad automatic rifle. It's supposed to take the fill the roll kind of of a like you know like a small squad light machine gun, and so, and some of you guys are gonna re at me for saying that, but you know it took the um, it took the place of the M two four nine, which was the, they called it a squad automatic rifle, but it's a belt fit, right? It's a five five six belt fit. It's like it's fill, that rifle filled or that. Uh, squad automatic rifle filled the role of a squad-sized light machine gun. That's basically literally what the, the name means. So the M27 pushed the M249 out. So that's the, the role it's supposed to be filling is like a, a small squad light machine gun. So how he would generally carry all of his magazines and how a lot of them would do it is they have their massive plate carrier, right? They have a few... Uh, magazine pouches on the sides, but they found that with that massive plate carrier that they're carrying with all the, and I'll, I'll explain why they wore these plate carriers here in a moment. Um, since it was so big, they would not be able to get down on their bellies uh, to go prone and to crawl if they had lots of mag pouches on front. So they ran it slick. You know, they still had molly, molly webbing on the front, but they didn't put any pouches on the front. They ran it slick so that they could get down on their bellies and crawl. Where they carried all of their magazines generally was in a shoulder bag. So it's not like a duffel bag. Don't, don't be carrying a duffel bag or something like that. But it's like a satchel bag in which they'd carry 10, 15 magazines or so in it. And uh, you could secure it with a small... Uh, you know, a, a clippable band, uh, or you can run a little bit of 550 cord with a quick, um, like a, a quick untying knot on it. And so you're securing it to your, either your leg or to your belt or to a belt loop or something like that, or to some other piece of equipment, maybe your, maybe your plate carrier somewhere along the line, maybe the, the cummerbund or something. But so whenever, if you need to, uh, beat feet and, pick up the pace, it's not constantly banging against your side. It's kind of secured to your side. Then whenever you get into a firing position, whenever you need to, um, you know, put your highest casualty producing weapon, which is the M27 IRR in their case, uh, whenever it comes to small arms, right? Uh, the M27 IRR is their highest casualty producing weapon as in the terms of small arms. Whenever they need to put the highest casualty producing weapon uh, with overlapping fields of fire on the most likely uh, avenue of en enemy approach, they'd get down into on their bellies into a firing position. And so their plate carrier is slick on the front. They can actually get down to the ground. Um, and then once they've got the their rifle set up at a good firing position, they unlatch that satchel bag on their or their shoulder bag that has all their magazines and they sling it up beside the rifle so now they can immediately just and they you know they undo the the top the flap and so now that whenever they run out of ammo in their magazine they can literally just grab their the magazines are right there beside the rifle and they can feed it immediately 
So that was a little story that he was telling me about. And this is perfectly applicable to civilians. You can also carry a satchel bag. You know, you don't have to run yours slick, um, especially if you're doing something along the lines of a, a chest rig or something if you're on a longer patrol. But the issue is is that it might be inconvenient or not practical to carry a, a large, heavy satchel bag filled with magazines, um, you know, really long distance. So you need to, you need to judge for yourself uh, what the likelihood is. If you're going into direct combat, like say a security patrol, if you're, if there, the collapse has happened and you're running a, uh, security patrol to keep your community safe. And so you've got a bunch of guys from the community and you guys are going out constant patrols, constantly establishing an armed presence in your locale. So to deter raiders, to deter, you know, whoever might be coming to parasite off of your community, this might be something that you, you'd consider. Um, and so this is going to feed into my situation, that the case that I make for civilians wearing armor here in a bit. Um, okay, so we talked about the types, right? The, the small, medium, and large plate carrier types. Um, and so we talked about that. What are the pros, the cons, and then the situations in which a civilian um, would derive benefit from these? So jumpable, small, I don't think there's many like this that a civilian is going to need, right? So um, I just don't think there's in a collapse scenario... The average civilian, the average community defender, the average rifleman is not going to derive a lot of um, benefit from a smaller size plate carrier. The only reason that you might derive benefit from it, say like a JPC or a um, a uh, slickster style, is if you're building it up to be a overt, right? If you're using it as your overt because, say, price point, maybe price point was good, or maybe you know that JPCs are really well built or something along those lines and you, you trust the quality of the of the uh, plate carrier and you're using it as an overt, that's fine, man. I understand. I, a, 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 a word of warning, though, uh, I think you might experience some issues trying to set them up as an overt. I know JPCs can be set up as an overt, but there's a a definite limitation whenever you're trying to set up these things as overt because they're really not designed to be run with large loadouts, right? And so it's going to like structurally, it's going to be real. It's going to be kind of sucky for you. It's going to be, um, it's going to be more in the suck fest whenever you try to run larger loadouts on them. You need to be honestly, if you're, you have any plan of running a larger patrol security style combat loadout on it, you probably need to be going with a larger overt style um, plate carrier. So um, I think that the pros of an overt plate carrier are high for a civilian. You can build them up. And this is going to go for the larger style, the KDH that I was mentioning, the military contract as well. I just think that those are maybe a little too beefy. Um I think that the maximum benefit that you'll get from a plate carrier on patrol style is going to be for a um, is going to be for a like overt a uh, that medium size. So this is going to be along the lines of one of the larger um, one of the larger cries, one of the 
overt spiritus types and mayflowers, uh, you know, the, uh, what are they, the first spear overts. Um, and then there's the obviously the pharaohs that are the overts. And then you, you can fill in the blank, like fill in the blank with the model type. Uh, do the research for yourself between all of these, the scarabs, the velocity system scarabs. Those are, from what I hear, like an incredible play carrier. Um, you need to do the research for yourself. Anyways, these are the most scalable. They can carry the largest loadouts uh, within reason. Um, uh, weight distribution on them is pretty phenomenal. And uh, you can carry fairly, you know, they, they can you can carry fairly large uh, loadouts with them. Now, here's the cons, right? Um, really hard to carry field gear with it. Combat gear is great in these. Like, right, you can carry radios, you can carry med kit, you can carry rifle and pistol ammunition. Um, you can carry water in a hydration pack. Uh, and you can carry a little bit of uh, mission direct gear, right? So, but the issue is, is that Whenever it comes to fieldcraft, existing in the field, sustaining yourself in the field for long periods of time, you're just not going to be capable of doing it. They don't, um, they don't fit well with uh, ruck packs. They don't fit well, very well with larger um, assault style or larger like 72 hour packs at all. They really don't. You can make it work, but they really don't work that very well, very well at all. Um, and uh, so you're basically going to get stuck with a flat back in which you've molly looped onto your back or a very small assault style pack. And in which case you're just going to maximum be staying out there for a little bit more than 24 hours. And so uh, what I think the situations that that uh, because, you know, s- since you can't really carry field gear, that means you can't exist in the field for a very long period of time while you're wearing a plate carrier. Um, if that's the only like load bearing gear that you have. Right. So that that's a big issue whenever you're trying to apply the plate carrier to situations that don't really mesh well with its qualities. Now, it works well whenever you do apply it to situations that mesh well with its qualities, which is kind of the point that I'm trying to make is using the correct tool for the for the right job. Right. So what are situations that would work well for a play? Oh, and by the way, other cons obviously are going to be what I mentioned earlier with the IMTs, the individual movement techniques. It creates a wedge between you and the ground so that you can't, especially if you're wearing a, um, a, uh, a front plan- panel, right? Or like that carries magazines on the front panel. Or uh, if you're wearing a, a micro chest rig, like a Spiritus Microfite or a Haley Strategic or a, um, a Pharaoh Concepts front, front rig or a, a chest rig, they are just going to create a wedge because you're probably double stacking magazines, either single stacking and you're not carrying much ammo or double stacking and you are carrying a lot of ammo. They're going to create along, like along with the, the plates and whatever other armor that you've got in your plate carrier, they're going to create a wedge between you and the ground and they're not really going to allow you to crawl or um, be prone comfortably Uh, They're going to just disable you from doing the individual movement techniques, which are the key to fighting battles in the field, right? So um, any long-term use in the field is just kind of out for plate carriers. You can only really last in the field with a plate carrier for a couple days at at max, in my opinion. Um, And so, I mean, unless you've got a car or other vehicle or something like that. So... 
what are the situations in which the qualities of a plate carrier actually do work really well for civilians? Um, well, this is going to be something along the lines of in a car where uh, you got to remember it's the it's the plate carrier. The plates are a passive form of helping yourself from uh, getting trauma from shots, right? So it's a it's a insurance, right? So what are ways that the insurance becomes more applicable times when the more active or assertive means of keeping yourself from getting shot are not really available to you so times when you can't go on your belly sometimes when you don't have a lot of cover to use so uh times when communication between your team members is not going to affect whether you get shot or not right so something like this is going to be uh defending inside your home um doing car patrols because if you're sitting in a car you cannot get down a car is actually fairly uh fairly vulnerable unless it's an armored personnel carrier or something along the lines a car is actually fairly vulnerable to small arms fire and so you take a round through your car door you can easily end up with holes in you right so a plate carrier while you're sitting in in the car um can help you with that right so but if you're if you're wearing a plate carrier and you won't expect it to perform well in the car, you probably need to be wearing side plates, right? Because your side is facing the door. So there's that. Um, so car patrols or uh, if you're doing a logistical supply run and you want and you, you fear being attacked by raiders or, or um, domestic attackers or foreign attackers or something along those lines, uh, a plate carrier could help you there because it's not like you can – go prone in your car or something like that. Um, there's that. I'd say that small time community security patrols would be great, uh, for a plate carrier because by the nature of a, of a security patrol, whenever you're patrolling around your community, establishing a armed presence around the vicinity of your community in order to deter attacks from raiders and other hostiles, it's not like you're going to be beyond your wire for a long period of time, right? It's not going to be, it's not like you're going to be, uh, now you might do numerous patrols throughout the day and throughout the night, but you're still going to be coming back into your community. You can resupply, get more water, get more food, um, do whatever you need whenever you come back in. And so I'd say a, uh, a plate carrier could be really good for that. Um, and guys for who, who are living out in the country, same deal. If you're patrolling around on your land and you're going to be coming back in um, and resupplying, then a plate carrier can work well for you. The, I, now, here comes the caveat. You have to train the IMTs with it, right? So if you're run, running a plate carrier the, and you go out into the field, you've got to learn to be able to do these field tactics while wearing your plate carrier. Battles are not fought, you know, the flat range where guys like Lucas Botkin and and fill in the blank, guys who are really well known to be being really good shooters, I'll give them that. Uh, I'm not trying to crap on them, but they're known for being really good shooters on a flat range, but that's not how battles are fought, right? Battles are fought through uh, cover, communication, and shooting and reloading uh, with your guys, uh, moving using the IMTs, the individual movement techniques, rush, high crawl, low crawl to secure ground and overwhelm enemies, right? 
Battles are not fought with 1R1 tactical reload drills. That's not how they're fought. They're not fought with uh, quick draws from your holster with your pistol. That's not how they're fought. So you need to be able to learn how to do high crawl and low crawl with your plate carrier with that front mag panel or or the micro uh, chest rig that's on your plate carrier. You need to be able to learn how to crawl. You need to learn how to rush and go from a prone position up into a rushing and then back down into a prone position instantaneously under fire. I'm not trying to tell you to like train by having your friends fire at you, but you understand what I'm saying. This is like drastic stuff and this equipment can get in your way. It can, it can be hazardous to you if you don't know how to do it. It's not good enough to learn how to do it in the moment, right? You need to, if you're gonna wear a plate carrier, and act like you're going to use it in the defense on security patrols out in the field. You need to know how to use it. Okay. So there's that. There's my advice on what the correct situational use for a plate carrier would be. All right. So to move on further down the list, I know we're already at about an hour. So... (laughs) Um, I've gotten some fruit out, and I'm snacking on some blueberries and some raspberries. So, um, we're going to move on to chest rigs. So, this is a topic I love. Um, I'm sure a lot of guys already know that I'm in love with chest rigs. And, honestly, this is kind of dependent, because there's some chest rigs out there that really will not give you the benefits I'm talking about. So, I'm going to set the parameters real quick. When I talk about chest rigs... I'm talking about large sustainment type chest rigs. I'm not talking about a Haley Strategic or Heavy where it's got four magazines and two utility pouches. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm not talking about a Spiritus uh, Microfite that has some fight expanders on it, which are the two extra pouches on on either side of the small micro panel and a um a dangler or whatever you want to call it an appendix bag that's not what i'm talking about those things have their own purpose i have a built up spiritus microfite right so they have their own purpose but and i'll get into it after i cover sustainment chest rigs but just so you know, whenever I refer to sustainment chest rigs, that's not what I'm talking about. So sustainment chest rigs is going to be something where you can carry a full uh, sustainment magazine loadout for your rifle. You can carry field gear, potentially a med kit. And um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm, I'm going with this. So... Basically, it's all the good aspects of being able to exist in the field and fight, right? So, what do I mean by that? So, my go-to... Sorry if I'm smacking my food. <laughs> my go-to um, chest rig for sustainment currently is my Optimal Performance Systems Enhanced Chest Rig. So, you can get that from UR Tactical or 0241 Tactical, their websites. Super heavy built. By heavy, I mean just like the material is incredible. So the shoulder pads on it are a good two inches wide and they're padded. So usually what you see is either a thin padded, um, a thin padded uh, harness on it 
with the straps being the harness, the shoulder straps, or they're wide but non-padded. This thing has the best of both worlds. It's padded, so it's a good centimeter in thickness, and they're about two, two and a half inches wide. So the ability to retain a heavy loadout to your torso is very high, so you can carry a lot of stuff on it. Um, I prefer my chest rigs to have an H harness. The reason being is an H harness will secure the load at a higher point on your body, up on your shoulders, which is more secure. With an X harness, meaning that the straps come on your back and overlap each other in an X fashion, it's not as secure because it's going to draw the, um, the I guess the tethering point, the point at which it's pulling against your back, it's gonna draw it down to the mid portion of your back, um, which means it's, it's not gonna be as secure. Uh, and so that basically whenever you're standing, the higher the, the higher the tethering point to your back is with an H harness, it's up high, like on your neck and shoulders. That's, and then you obviously, obviously you've got the, the waistband that's going to be the most secure. X harness is not very secure, and also the straps are on an X harness. In order to get an X harness to work, you usually have to um, make them super thin. And so then, whenever it's, they're super thin, if you bend over, they're likely to come loose due, the, due to the since it's an, a less secure means of tethering it to your body. They come loose, the meaning as the micro, or I'm sorry, as the, not micro rig, talk about sustainment rigs, as the, as the chest rig is hanging from your body, whenever you bend over, uh, and the waistband is holding it to your torso, those bottom portions of the straps can become loose, and they can tangle or uh, flip on each other. So that's an issue because then you've got a flipped strap and presumably you're wearing a backpack or a rucksack. And so then you've got a area that's rubbing unequally to your back and it's, you're likely to get a, a, an irritation or a blister or something there. So I just generally do not like X, X style harnesses. So what is my ops, my optimal performance systems enhanced chest rig like? It's got, so it rides down beneath your rib cage. So it's on your abdomen. That's the main difference between a chest rig and a plate carrier. With a plate carrier, you're supposed to ride with the, um, with the top of the front plate touching your clavicle, right, above your sternum. So then it's, it's, it's hiding, it's, it's covering your heart and lungs and the top of your aorta, your ascending aorta that comes off the top of your heart. So you want the top of your plate to touch or overlap your clavicle, meaning your collarbone, which means that if you're wearing a um, front panel or a magazine panel on the front, it's going to be basically right on top of the bottom of your ribs, okay, um, and or maybe just below. With a chest rig, it can be anywhere up from the top of your waist uh, to the bottom of your ribs. And why this is important is because whenever you go prone, um, your below your ribs and above your hips is basically the area uh, with the most margin of error for whenever you're bending down or whenever you're going prone because 
uh, you know, you can't bend your ribs, but you can bend your midsection. So whenever you're, you have an object there, you can bend over it and still get your shoulders and your waist to, to the ground. So whenever you're going prone, it basically, whenever an item, your magazines or whatever equipment you're wearing is there around the mid portion of, of your abdomen, you have the best ability to go prone if you're going to wear anything on the front portion of your body. Um, my that chest rig that I'm talking about, the enhanced chest rig, it allows me to carry. It's got four top closed or uh, I guess closed top mag pouches, and these four can hold two AR-15 5.56 style mags in each, two 5.45 AK mags, one um, 7.62 AK style mag, or one. 762 AR or G3 style mag. Okay. So you potentially have eight 556 or 545 magazines and four 762 or, uh, yeah, seven, just 762 magazines. Right. So that's a, a full loadout if you're running an AR 15 or an AK 74. Um, to me, that's a desirable loadout. Um, with a, uh, it's on either side, on the sides, you know, lateral portions, whenever it comes across your midsection, it's got two utility pouches. These utility pouches are fastened to um, the, the, the chest rig with swift clips, and whenever you detach the swift clips, it's Velcroed to the side. However, you can grab the, the pouches and tear them away from the enhanced chest rig. So if you've got, say, a med pouch in one of them, or a med kit in one of them, a trauma kit, uh, uh, like stop the bleed material, hemostatic agent, uh, you know, gauze, uh, uh, surgical pads, uh, a tourniquet, or what have you, or emergency trauma dressing or something along those lines. You can rip the thing away and then have it in your hands and treat yourself instead of having to constantly reach down around your, your torso to get pull material out. Um, it's got an H harness. It's got a really good um, waistband for in the back fastening with a quick clip. Um, and then it's got three interior or close to the body pouches that are made of mesh. And they secure with Velcro. Uh, and on the tops of two of them on either side, there's bungee retention. This is for extra magazines. Um, it's for uh, radios. It's for potentially like a thin water bottle. Um, you can fit a lot of stuff in there. And then, so that's what those two are like. And then the one up in front, the internal pouch up in front that's made of mesh and is fastened at the top, it closes in on itself with Velcro, is basically an admin pouch. You can stick maps, compass, what, whatever in there, you know, um, radio channels, whatever. If, if you actually, if you're in like a non-direct conflict scenario where you can actually put pertinent information down on paper remember if you're in a combat scenario in which you might get apprehended or something along those lines you don't want to carry material on you that's going to give away say like locations of your bases or call signs or radio channels frequencies stuff like that you don't want to have that written down to where the enemy can just read it if they apprehend you or kill you or something like that and then you've basically screwed your dudes 
But if it's a non-direct conflict, you're just, you know, exploring, doing uh, exploratory or reconnoitering patrols, just something like that, having maps in there, having compass, whatever. Um, so what does this mean? The interior pouches, the two on the sides, I can use with the bungee retention. I can use those for what is called an emergency mag pouch, I've found. I can put a radio in one and then have extra magazines in the other. So... Um, let's say like, for example, if I'm running my G3, right, my, my, my HK 91, I have four magazines up front. I do not consider that a full loadout for a G3, not even close. What I could do is I could run two extra magazines in those bungee retention internal pouches. Um, and that'll give me a little bit more of a loadout. I think six mags is the bare minimum for a combat loadout. That's we're talking now we're talking, right? We've got six mags. Um, and so there's that, right? Or if I'm running my AK or my SIG 5.56, I can have my eight mags up front and then carry a radio and one internal pouch. Uh, I can carry uh, maps and compass in the admin pouch. I could carry, uh, say, a water bottle or some sort of other equipment in the other bungee retention pouch, internal pouch, and then I can carry a med kit and a field craft kit, um, like a sustainment kit, and the other in the utility pouch. So basically, I, and then also on top of all of that, there's two pistol mag pouches on the thing. So I could, if I wanted to, I could fit a pistol, a one pistol. I could fit two pistol mags. I could put one pistol mag and one. Um, uh, one say like a multi-tool or a flashlight or i could just go full on no pistol mags up in my chest rig um, and i could put in say a multi-tool in one and i can put in a flashlight in the other so there you go um yeah so that these are very useful tools for field use like when i say field use i mean being in the woods if i need to start a fire i have a fire kit in my in my sustainment pouch if I need to land nav, I've got maps and compass. If I need to purify water, I have water purification tablets and a basic Sawyer filter in my sustainment pouch. If I need to treat bleeding or an infection or something like that, I've got stuff in my, my uh, trauma and med, med kit pouch. And by the way, I always keep a stop the bleed pouch in my trousers cargo pocket. So... It's kind of like a redundancy thing. I want to be able to have, be able to stop bleeding um, always on my person. So it, if I take my chest rig off, I'll still have a stop the bleed kit on me. Um, so I might stick a little bit of extra stuff in the, in the med kit pouch on my chest rig. So like band-aids, um, small gauze patches, uh, you know, neosporin, a little bit of Advil or something along those lines, hand sanitizer, gloves. Um, extra pair of trauma shears, something along those lines. And then one of the biggest aspects of the sustainment chest rigs are the ability to, like your back is free, right? So you've got, you've got the straps on your back, but they occupy very little space at all. So I could wear a 72-hour pack. I could wear anything from a small 24-hour assault pack, a 72-hour pack, or I can wear my framed assault pack. So I could wear a large Alice pack. I could wear any military style pack or I can wear a regular backpack hiking pack or something along those lines on my back. 
so I could have all of my field gear to sustain myself out in the field indefinitely uh, while I'm wearing this chest rig. Um, also, I could fit a canteen in one of those those pa- side pouches of the chest rig if I wanted to. So instead of, say, carrying a med kit on my chest rig, since I already have a trauma kit in my pants pocket, I could put a canteen on one of the sides of my chest rig, which I've done before, and it works great. So basically, the, the uh, chest rig fills in all the, pa- the places where a plate carrier leaves out, right? So plate carrier, um, depending on how you set it up, if you set up your plate carrier with only the front mag pouches, right? The front mag shingle or whatever, you might only have three, four or five magazines on your plate carrier. With, with my chest rig, I've got a full, you know, a full loadout, a full, uh, combat loadout of, of at the very least six magazines. I've got all my field gear. I've got water, potentially have pistol mags or just extra, uh, tools. Right. And so, um, and I have space on my back, unlike the uh, plate carrier, I have place, uh, space on my back to carry high, larger packs, framed packs if need be, uh, to carry all my field gear. I also have um, the ability to go down prone, which much less discomfort and no, not really a wedge between my body, right? So there's still magazines on the front of my body, but they're in an area that's going to allow me to easily bend over them to get to the ground in a prone position or a crawling position, unlike a plate carrier, which basically turns the entirety of my body, my, the front portion of my body into a flat plane in which I can't bend, right? You can't bend against that plate. So, uh, the chest rig basically succeeds in where the plate carrier fails. Now the con to a, a chest rig is, it obviously doesn't carry, um, obviously doesn't carry the plate. So, the types of the chest rig I'm going to go to into are obviously the sustainment types, right? So something along the lines of what I just described, there's the cry, um, what is it? The airframe or whatever. I can't remember. It's got the ability to carry larger loadouts, I believe. Um, and then I've got some others pulled up here. I know that, what was it? The, um, uh, the what is it? The Helicon Tech's Guardian, I believe. You can carry eight or nine magazines in it with two util- utility pouches, depending on your magazine type that you're carrying. Um, it's a, from what I've heard, I have a a Helicon Tech's training chest rig, which is like basically a micro fight chest rig that carries four magazines. Um, I love Helicon Tech's gear. Uh, I I have no doubt that it'd be a really well built sustainment chest rig then there's obviously going to be the mayflower chest rigs where these guys are really really well known for military contracts of just being incredible reconnoitering uh rigs but you need to watch out because like say the generation um i think it's the generation six you can only carry four magazines in it uh but the uh, I guess the the way that you can set it up, I'm I'm not really sure. I you know I'm not I don't own a uh, Velocity Systems or the, May, the Mayflower type uh, chest rigs, but I've heard they're really good. Um, so I would n- I would not doubt their ability. 
I would just be careful whenever you're looking through their models. Like for example, their model fives, they look really, really cool. And they uh, have the ability to basically unzip, if I'm looking at it correctly, in the front. Um, it basically, it's kind of like a coat. You put it on, it, um, the, you put the, the harness system on and it comes to the front and you fasten, you zip up the two front por portions of it. Um, and then it's got numerous pouches on it, numerous utility pouches, numerous uh, compass and gr grenade pouches and med kit pouches. And you can kind of set it up to just basically carry whatever you want. I've seen, I think it's Guns, Beer, and Bacon on Instagram. I think he set his up to carry six magazines or, or maybe more. I'm not really sure. But you've got to be able to get a hold of all the, the inserts, the magazine inserts, the Kydex inserts, right? Okay. So... Moving on, there's that there's that type, the sustainment type chest, chest rigs. Um, and then obviously there's going to be the micro fight chest rigs. I'm not big on using those for combat stuff just simply because you can't put, put a full combat, uh, a full combat uh, loadout in it. And when I say combat, that doesn't necessarily mean you, you are for sure going to go fight someone, but it can mean like a reconnoitering patrol rear... Uh, out in the field for a long time, right? And so when you're out in the field for a long time and you're sustaining yourself, you're purifying water, starting fires, uh, potentially depending on where you are, obviously you're not gonna wanna start a fire if you're within enemy territory or something like that. But, um, you know, do, do numerous different tasks that you need to do out in the woods or in the field. And your, the, the time that you spend in the field or your proximity to enemy territory increases the likelihood that you might run into guys that don't like you, right? Um, then you want to have a full combat loadout, if that's the case. Uh, if you're out in the field for a long period of time, you have no fire support. If you're out in a far distance that might be overlapping territories with your enemies, they might have, uh, t they might move through that area at times, then you cannot receive aid from your dudes that are back at your base. You are your own fire support, especially if you're a civilian. You really don't have fire support anyways. If you're in the military, you see guys in the military running rigs or plate carriers or something with that triple mag uh, shingle or whatever on the front of their plate carrier or in their chest rig, and that's all they've got, right? Um why, why do they do that, but why would it be a bad idea for civilians to do that? Well, because these guys have logistical and operational organizational support that you don't have. They have the ability to call in a, a casualty evacuation through Chopper or Humvee. They have the ability to directly insert into wherever they need to do their operation by Chopper or Humvee or by uh, high-altitude uh, low-opening or high-altitude high-opening or something along those lines where they have the ability to, to get into a territory without having to hike in long distances uh, establish themselves in the field for a long period of time uh, and then they they can call in planes helicopters other guys on the ground uh, artillery or what have you in order to support themselves uh, you don't have that as a civilian and you certainly won't have that after, in a collapse scenario so whenever you're looking at spec ops guys or or high tier military guys it doesn't necessarily correspond what they're loading out to what you should be loading out. You got to remember that you are internally and fundamentally different from them. You don't. You will not be operating like them, and so it's 
it's not logical or consistent in order to presume that you can build your kit based off of what they do or what they wear because what you do and what they do is fundamentally different. Okay, so just keep that in mind. So what at what time would a a micro chest rig or a smaller style chest rig come into uh, like be a be a good thing, right? So that might be something along the lines of like a spiritus micro fight with fight expanders that allow you to carry um you know, uh, I don't know, five mags and then the front the front pouch of the panel is is for admin stuff or some field gear and then uh you've got the dangler for a med kit or something along those lines when where what what point would that be good what situation would that be good well i'd say that's that'd be good that'd be fine for a personal defense rig in which the likelihood of you running into a bad guy is minimal um but you still want to have ammunition on you so say in a collapse scenario when you're leaving the wire right you're going out to get firewood or you're going out to hunt a little bit or or find a resource or something along those lines but you're fun, you're effectively just sticking close and you're not necessarily running a security patrol in which you're actively looking for a fight or to establish an armed presence in your AO but rather you're doing something more along the lines of resource gathering information gathering something like that i think that your haley strategic that only allows you to carry four magazines would be okay in that scenario because it's it's you're you're not actively looking for a fight the only time that you would ever use those magazines is for personal defense purposes um and the like your more likelihood to evacuate or to withdraw from the region than you are to get in yourself into established fight um okay so moving on oh by the way i i've talked to guys and they say they make the case for always using these smaller um rigs and and not using sustainment gear or not being able to carry a lot of ammo because they say in a collapse scenario if you're ever doing fights um it's always going to be guerrilla hit and run and so you want to be you have you shouldn't desire to get into a a long time fight in which you're going to need numerous magazines okay i've got some news for you you can run through eight magazines in 10 minutes Okay, even if your goal is to only do guerrilla style fighting of hit and run against superior forces or against, you know, raiders or something like that, it's just (laughs) the logic doesn't flow. Here's I've said this before on this show and I'll say it again, like have your buddy like whenever you go to the range have your buddy run 100 yards and run 100 yards back, right? And then while, while he's running, be shooting at a target continuously as if you're laying down covering fire. See just how fast you run out of ammo. It is nothing to go through three or four magazines in two minutes. Enemies can easily be well-versed in anti-ambush or counter-ambush tactics, in which case you could be, you and your buddies, could attempt to ambush people and they could immediately go undercover, you know, get into cover, regroup, communicate, and unleash volleys against you that will disallow your ability to retreat. And now, because you 
decided to ambush someone and they were trained enough or lucky enough to uh, enact a good counterattack against you, you are now, despite all your intentions, stuck in a sustained firefight. And firefights can last a long time, even if you don't want them to. You can have every intention of doing a guerrilla-style hit-and-run attack and get stuck in an eight-hour firefight. Okay? So the logic doesn't flow. Your three-mag... Um, uh, micro rig that you wanted because it's lightweight so you can easily get up and run in a hit and run fashion gorilla style does not flow because it doesn't work like that it's not this thing where you can just shoot at a platoon uh, of enemy combatants and then turn and run away and nothing's going to happen that's not how the world works that's not how fights happen in general. If you think that's ha- what happens in general, you're going to die. If you do successfully withdraw, it's because you've employed proper communication and proper use of the three IMTs, rush, uh, high crawl, and low crawl. Which means if you are getting out of there, if you're beating feet in a quick withdrawal, you're rushing, right? You're covering each other while one or two guys in a caterpillar-style motion move back right and then they get down and they cover you while you move back so you're still expending rounds in your withdrawal this is silly convincing yourself that you don't need ammunition because you're just going to do this quick hit and run attack on some guys and 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 that's all it'll be right is you'll just be in and out in a couple minutes yeah famous last words bud it, it doesn't work like that your presumption should never be that these plans are going to go according cor- correctly, right? That's just silly. And plus, you're, you're disabling your ability to establish proper security by doing overlapping fields of fire around your, your, your base or around your community. Uh, you're disabling your ability to do security patrols in which you're actively establishing an armed presence. In which case, if you're doing that, you need sustained firefight kit, Right? So if you're the, one of the guys who just says, oh, yeah, I'll just use a small um, micro fight rig or something like that because I, I can just do hit and run stuff, that's idiotic. Stop it. Okay? That's, that's, <laughs> that's not how stuff works. They're not going to stand around and let you shoot at them and then run away. Okay? So just stop thinking like that. That's not how it works. Okay. Moving on. Um. Yeah, so I think microfight chest rigs would work well in a personal defense scenario in which you're not actively seeking to get into a fight, and it's it's only going to be for self-defense in which your mission is something other than a combat-related thing. Moving on from chest rigs, we're going to talk about um, hybrid stuff. So this is going to be along the lines of a Rhodesian, uh, a Rhodesian uh, recon vest, so... These were, especially the Eagle, Eagle, e, sorry, Eagle Industries Rhodesian Recon Vests were super popular originally in the War on Terror. Um, they were mass produced, and now there's like a lot of different types. There, there's custom made ones. There's, you can find different stuff. So what makes a Rhodesian Recon Vest? It's basically a regular chest rig, like an abdominal chest rig, where it's uh, a big... Uh, 
you know, a horizontal bar of, of fabric with molly webbing or with pouches or whatever. But then you have the ability to up top where the harness leads up to your shoulders, you have the ability to t- attach a bib, right? So it now covers the upper top part of your chest. And <clears throat> this bib corresponds Velcro with the Velcro on the interior portion of the chest rig part down below or the abdominal part down below and allows you to mount a front plate. So now, but it's, remember, it's just straps in the back. It's like a regular chest rig. So it's all the good parts of a chest rig and all the good parts of a, um, of a plate carrier, right? Minus the rear plate because this Rhodesian Ridge, the Rhodesian recon vest is presumably going to be worn, um, with a, you know, a, a ruck pack or a 72 hour pack or something along those lines. So it's whenever you're establishing yourself out in the field, but you also want to have that insurance policy in case you get caught off guard or aren't able to take cover and you end up taking around to the chest, that front plate could easily, you know, come in, come in use right there. So what would the advisement be? So usually what I would if you were to employ this, I personally don't own one and I probably don't intend on getting one because I'm personally just fond of the chest rig. And whenever you use the recon, uh, the Rhodesian recon vest with a plate carrier or with it, <coughs> good Lord, excuse that. Whenever you combine it with the front plate, you're getting that same issue as with the plate carrier. That's going to make it harder for you to go and in d- down into prone uh, high crawl, low crawl, whatever. But remember, you can always overcome this with, to a certain extent, you can overcome it with training by habituating yourself to crawling and, and moving with the, with it in training. Now, you're not going to completely be able to overcome it because regardless of how much you train with it, you're never going to be able to actually bend your body against the, the front plate. You can't get that front plate to bend without breaking it. Right. So there, you got to understand that. But you still get the protection that comes with the front plate. And so what would you would do is, I guess while you're hiking, um, you'd take the front plate off and you'd stick it in your pack. And uh, only if you actually suspect that you're going to get into a firefight would you actually take it out of your pack and put it in your, attach the bib to the chest, the chest rig portion of it and insert the front, front plate bag. So I can foresee a lot of the benefits of a chest rig coming in to this and some of the benefits of a plate carrier coming in with this, but you're also getting some of the negatives of both. So you actually have to weigh that. Uh, I'm not really going to go into it as, I, as deeply as I did with the others because I, honestly, I just don't have one. I've never really used one. I had one for a while when I was younger, but um, it just, I just kind of got tired of it. I just didn't really think it was... Um, as useful as a regular chest rig, so I ended up just sticking with a regular chest rig. Um, but I can see it being useful if you're obviously getting into that direct con- conflict, and uh, maybe your mission type is, or your whatever you're doing, the type of operation that you're doing is really, really variable. Like you're doing numerous things, you might be moving through a neighborhood, 
Um, you might be riding in a car during some portion of it or something along these lines. And there's, or maybe you're moving from houses as part of, you decide as part of your um, operation that you want to move through a town and you want to go into a house or a supermarket or something like that to try to scavenge for food. Maybe then it would come into use. I don't know. So um, just an idea for you there. Um, so there's that. And then f- moving farther on, I'm going to get, I think this is the last one that I'm actually going to go over. So this is load bearing equipment in terms of suspender type. So this is like battle belts that are suspenders. So I had been asked to go over battle belts. Here, hold on just a second. I'm letting my dog into the house. Come on, Bubba. It's Virgil, my chashow. He's a big football. Okay. So going into Alice and Molly type harnesses, I'd been asked to do something about, you know, gun belts or battle belts. And so this is kind of hard because I think what was being referred to was the battle belt in terms of like the padded belt or like a war belt that you put on your waist. And it's like you've got your pistol holster and pistol mags and maybe a med kit or, you know, a dump pouch or something on it. And these are fun to use with plate carriers, right? But it doesn't really work that well uh, with your sustainment kit, like a chest rig and a backpack, because the kidney straps and the waistband of the backpack are going to interfere with your um, gun belt. Um, Now, there is a certain type of gun belt that works really well, and this is the old Alice pack, or I'm sorry, the old Alice rigs or the Molly harnesses. some, there's some companies that are making new ones called Jungle Rigs. I think Velocity Systems has one. I think some of the British companies have one. And so basically what this is, is it's a, it's a belt that goes around your abdomen, uh, rides on top of your hips, not like an actual belt that rides, rides like on your hips as in directly on them, but like over on your abdomen above your hips. This, this, this suspender kit runs above your hips and is tethered to your body by suspenders that run up and over your shoulder. Usually it's either a, a Y suspender, which are fine, or an H harness, which are also great. And so you'll see if you look back in Vietnam or um, I, the, the U.S. has used it for a long time, all the way up from 1945, uh, I think actually 1943, up to Vietnam and was even used up into the 90s. The Alice kit system was a belt system with these suspenders, H harness, and then later Y harness. And the magazines, or the mag pouches, they're kind of thin um, because the instead of writing, I guess, on their sides, the magazines writing inside of the pouches on their sides, instead of that, like modern pouches, the magazines rode on their spine. So you could fit, fit about three magazines in each pouch. So they were a little bit a little bit less wide, but a little bit thicker against your body. Um, but you could fit, uh, for example, on my Alice rig currently, I own both one of the Eagle Industries Molly H harnesses, um, which is the uh, some of you Marines and Army guys would know a bit about this. You probably got deployed with these during the War on Terror. Um, these became pretty popular because they're really, really good for... Um, they're really good for patrolling, but I know some guys hated them because they, they got forced to like put them over those big KDH-style plate carriers that I was talking about, which would absolutely suck. 
anyways, the Alice, um, the, I'm just going to describe it. These, these Alice rigs, you could carry, and so it, it buckles in front of you as all, you know, like a regular belt. The suspenders, there's uh, a suspender uh, portion on each of the front sides of the buckle. And then they come up to a Y that's on your back and then feeds down to a single suspender, which breaks off into two little hooks that also attach to the belt on the back. You can, these are obviously highly uh, modular because you just, you're just adding pouches to it, right? It's just a regular belt and then you add pouches to it. So technically if it's an Alice belt, you can still put Molly pouches on it. But the old Alice pouches, they'd hold three in each pouch. So for mine, for my uh, Alice rig, I've got four pouches and then I've got two ut- side utility pouches. And then the back is complete, completely clear to allow myself to wear it in conjunction with a ruck pack. So this allows me to carry 12 556 magazines or eight 762 magazines along with utility pouches. So like med kit and field kit. That's insanely good. That's really, really good. Right? So the Molly, the Molly harnesses, they're going to be a little bit less, although you could probably like a, for example, uh, you could get, uh, some of the older Eagle, uh, you can get open top, I guess the like more modern open top HGI or whatever, or HSGI or whatever you call it. Um, or taco STAC taco, um, mag pouches and put them on the H harness, like the Molly style H harness. Right. But the issue is, is that with that, I'm just really critical of open top mag pouches in the field. They're good for the range, really good for the range, but in the field, just, you know, dirt and mud and can easily get down into your pouches. It can easily loosen the retention of the pouches. It's not, it's really not an active retention in my, in my opinion, personally, if you have some sort of insert, kind of like STAC or, or a Kydex insert, and then also bungee on top of it, that's much more of an active retention and still being open top. Close top, in my opinion, is probably the best. You might say it's loudest and it's slowest, but it's still the best at retaining magazines, which for me, a mag pouch, the retention is t- entirely the point. So the ability to retain magazines better is much more important to me than the speed at which I'm able to draw a magazine. Um, so there's that, but anyways, getting past that, um, the Alice pouches, you can, you can hold obviously three in each with the Molly. You can put a, the old, older Eagle, Eagle industries, uh, closed top mag pouches or whatever new closed top. I know cry makes some closed top mag pouches. You can put those Molly thread them onto, uh, onto your H harness, your, um, you know, your suspender belt. Uh, and then you could say, do three on each side up front, and then you can do uh, a utility on each side. And so then you've got eight to 12 magazines, uh, and then utility pouches on each side for that thing alone. Right. So these are whenever you need to be like the ultimate self fire support for your team, or your team needs to be its own fire support, this is like the ultimate one. You can last in a firefight for a really long time. Um, 
uh, and carry a lot of utility stuff. It's around your midsection, so then you're with it around your midsection, you can actually go prone, you can actually crawl and whatnot. And with the back being open, you can wear it in conjunction with a 72-hour pack or, or a ruck pack. Sorry, I was getting a drink. So, what are the cons of this thing? Of these these jungle saw rigs, or these I guess these suspender rigs. <sighs> well, um, obviously you're not going to be able to get uh, protection from a plate unless you're putting it over a plate carrier. I don't really see the point in that, it, but you know, you do you. Um, they can be really heavy because obviously you're carrying a lot of equipment, and they're older. So, some guys are skeptical on that. Um, I know some guys said that they would never go with the older style Alice kit, or they would never go with the older style Molly kit. Um, well, I, I can tell you that for sure, some of these older style kits, or, or maybe even some of the newer kits, like made by Velocity Systems, or I know First Spear makes a jungle kit or something like that. That style is better at sustaining yourself in the field and in the firefight. Okay, um, there's just you, and also since the uh, since the uh, the belt on these things run down close to your waist, you can actually wear another smaller uh, 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 chest rig with it. So it's down close to your waist, and now the chest rig is a little bit higher up, which you're going to run in, into issues going prone. But if you're really worried about getting into big time battles, like you're going to be outside uh like indirect conflict running security ops and you're afraid like there's a lot of people moving around and you have to you have no choice but to keep your people your community safe but you know you're going to run into a lot of guys i mean there's really no better way of carrying a lot of magazines and then you can always like i mentioned before carry a, a shoulder bag in which you have even more magazines in it it's just as you know whenever you're doing combat stuff the most important things you could ever have on you are more magazines, more magazines, and water, and then lastly, food. Um, and then obviously, you know, medical kit and stuff is going to fall in there as well. But magazines, your ability to shoot is going to um, obviously be the most, the primary importance whenever you're doing shooting. So these things are like really, really good for long distance, long-term sustainment, whenever you've got to be your own fire support. Um, I don't really see much else to cover on that. And then obviously they're going to be, allow you to run backpacks in conjunction with it in which you can carry an axe, an e-tool, hydration, uh, sleep system, uh, shelter system, uh, you know, a stove, rope, whatever. So I think that a Alice rig is incredibly cheap and it's a very modular system that even if you don't want to set it up that heavy, you don't have to. Um, I think it's a really great tool. I've trained with it. It's really these, they have snap clips on the Alice pouches that they, they snap. So you've actually got to unsnap them before you can open the top and start pulling magazines out. It's really not that hard, man. It's like, if you train a single night with it, you're already proficient with it. Just give it an hour or so, and you can easily be doing uh, 
quick tactical reloads with it that takes minimally more time than an actually at like a, a, a modern uh, magazine pouch. So honestly, a, a lot of the excuses I hear for guys to not use gear like this is just kind of nominal. It's not really, doesn't really mean anything because you can easily overcome basically all of their objections with a little bit of training. And once you are trained with it, the gear is just, it yields so many more benefits than a lot of the modern stuff. So guys, basically when it comes down to it, all of these things have uh, situations in, in, uh, in which they have proper pros and proper cons. And I think that as a, a skilled and knowledgeable individual who, like say, you're preparing for the worst poss- possible events that could happen in a society in which real, the real world comes to a society and ends the civilization that was hardly there to begin with. You know, we have things like riots, um, sickness, I think you know what I'm talking about when I say that, um, political upheaval and stuff like that. Things that on a national level are actually fairly small that just because of the, the news media and stuff like that can easily turn civilization on its head. Just think about what actually disastrous things could happen and do happen throughout the world. You know, you leave the United States, you leave Western society, and the rest of the world is barbaric. And um, and then you come back over here to the westerns to Western society, and if you use guns, even in the gun community, if you use guns in like a a, a manner in which it's like involving you being self sufficient in a militant sort of way, people look at you and cringe, right? In which case, that means that the vast majority of people in Western society have a um, completely depend dependent mentality. They, it's completely impractical. They presume that the real world is this thing where you can go five minutes and get groceries and then travel another five minutes and get gas, pay a bill once a month and have electricity and running water and stuff like that. That's not the reality of the world, and that's not the reality of human nature, right? Human nature is degenerate, right? That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus Christ. The The reality of the world is degenerate and sinful and barbaric and warmongering. And if you want to do good, if you want to protect innocent people, you have to be ready to face it. Okay. So, um, these things are investments. They're not toys. You should not be looking at these things in a consumeristic mindset. These are, these are not toys. These are tools that you are to use for the glorification of God and the protection of innocent people and to stand against unrighteousness and evil, right? So I hope you realize that. I hope you look at these things. You understand that they're not just something to collect, to show off, and to post about on Instagram. These are things that you need to train with. They're, they're only as good as you are. And they're, they're, the purpose that they serve will only help you if you have the right mindset and training. If you do do your job, they will help you. If you don't do your job, they're of no benefit to you. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Study the situations. I gave you a few ideas. And you know what? You might disagree with me on a lot of the things I said. I just hope that you're able to learn something from this. Okay? So I appreciate you listening. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Um, Guys, if you have any questions... 
you know, you can always hit my Telegram channel. By the way, last night I made a new Instagram page. Let's just, you know, I'm not hopeful as to how long it's going to stay up. I'm going to post the my Instagram username, the handle in the in the uh, description, and I'm going to put my Telegram information for the posting channel and then the chat channel in the description. So guys, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope you have a great day. God bless. Be prepared. Study this stuff. Um, it's okay if you disagree with me. Let me know what you, what you, your thoughts, your comments, your disagreements. Uh, and, you know, I can always learn from it too. So have a good day, guys. God bless.